Welcome to Nancy's Next Chapter. I am Leslie Wake Webster. I am a writer and a producer, and I am here in Los Angeles. And I am Nancy Wake. I live in Rhode Island, and I am retired. Retired, but very busy, and especially busy this week. You are about to move locations. I am. And the closing for this property is on Thursday. So I'm feeling a little bit of panic and anxiety that at the last minute, there will be things that I think, oh, I shouldn't depend on my son-in-law and grandsons to do this. I should have movers here to do this so they could do it all at once. But anyway, that's not happening. So uh, that's the dilemma of having volunteers versus having people you pay. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And my yes. grandsons are both back in school, in high school now. And my son-in-law is working sometimes at home up the street and sometimes he's at his office which is close to Boston, so. Yes, and I think what's particularly funny about this, Mom, is that your son-in-law, Mike Conley's husband, is this powerhouse CEO who's written a book that's on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And you are probably the only person in the world besides his wife who gets to order him around. (laughs) Well, I try not to phrase any request in, in the form of an order. Well, by the, by the next time we record an episode, it will all be done. You will be moved and that will be exciting. And I don't know if I told you, Leslie, but next, a week from tomorrow, I am flying to Kentucky. Uh, Oh, that's right. My sister, Sarah, has organized the Dodson Cousins for a reunion and I was not able to go to the last one. So I'm really looking forward to seeing these cousins again. I remember Jackie and Sharon. They lived in Indiana. And when I was growing up on the farm, they would come and visit there. Then my other cousin, Bob, I remember that one of the things that Bob really liked was riding on the mule (laughs) on the farm. So it was just you know, we were we were farm children, and uh, we didn't do things that today would be considered exciting to do at all. So, well, but if you don't get to ride, riding an animal is pretty exciting, especially as a kid. I feel like there's a picture of Bob on a mule that maybe your sister Sarah has in a scrapbook. Yes, I. Yeah, I think so. And though I think I've taken most of these photos to the reunions before, I'm still going to take them again this time, which reminds me, Leslie, in going through and sorting, I came across a book that just absolutely made me cry. It's called, I don't know if you can see that or not. Uh, Lest We Forget by White. By Lenny. White was her name, and oh. she was the postmistress in Steubenville. But she started, oh, wow. and this is, she wrote this in 1974, and she starts out by saying, I am writing this to let our children and grandchildren know how we used to live. I am not calling them the good old days, because oh. there were many things about them that were not so good. 
And she starts out uh, writing about the early 1900s before the First World War. She says in one, on one page, when I was a very small child, my sister and I were kept home all winter once because there was an epidemic of diphtheria in the community. We stayed at home and wore a bag of, I'm not even sure I can pronounce this, asafetida. Asafetida. Oh, yeah, that's a flower. Uh-huh. Around our necks. I don't know whether the asafetida helped, but it sure kept people away from us. And it was just such a different world. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. your children, my grandchildren, they wouldn't begin to know how to survive in that setting. No. But Lenny and her family did because that's all they knew. But it's a lovely, lovely selection. But I just found myself thinking how wonderful that she took the time to write this. And I think she said in the beginning, she had helped to do this. She says, I want to thank the vocational school at Wayne County and names the teachers that helped her put this together. So, yes, how wonderful she did that. And you're right. I think uh, people are sometimes intimidated by how to start if they're telling a story about the past. But sometimes you just need someone, anyone to invite you to start. And then once you get started, it turns out the stories are there. And the other story connected with Lenny that is imprinted in my brain. And I know I couldn't have been even 10 years old when this happened, but she and her husband, Bart, were living in a community south of Monticello. And I don't know why, but when he was killed, my mother, Ma, was the one that put us, the children, in the car. And we had to, she had to go tell Lenny that Bart had died. Oh, gosh. That is so vivid in my mind. But that was representative of life in the 40s. Very different time. But we had a a very close-knit community. We had the schoolhouse and the post office, which also Mm -hmm. was a grocery. And our community would have been less than 70 people altogether. Oh, my gosh. Usually, everybody knew what everyone else was doing. But Mm. it was not from the standpoint of, I'm going to get you. It was from the standpoint of, being helpful. Mm -hmm. And if somebody Mm -hmm. was going through a really hard time because of illness or difficulty with their relative, then people stepped in to help out. What did you observe in your childhood around when people passed or... I do remember when my father died, he was at home and this was the second or third heart attack he had had. And uh, we had a family doctor who who came to the house and he had been, my father had been advised several times, you've got to stop working so hard, Ed. And of course, as a farmer, that just didn't speak to him at all. I I think he thought, I'll get through this, but he didn't. And I remember when being told, and I don't know who did that. I don't. I think it was our mother, maybe the doctor, 
or maybe it was one of my dad's sisters, Sarah. Um, I took Mariana, who was just, I think she was just maybe three or four at that time. And we went for a walk. I I took her for a walk. It makes me sad to think about it. Oh, yes. Because I thought there was nothing for us to do. No. Gosh. No, and and at least you gave little three-year-old Mariana something else to think about or do. She, of course, had no clue what was was happening. So, yes. Oh, well, those were days. That was in 1956. Oh, my gosh. Yes, very different time. Yeah. So, anyway, I didn't make much progress as I was doing this. Needless to say. Because I kept stopping and reading and looking. And uh, so I, yes. I, I should have done this a long time ago. And I kept thinking, oh, I'll have time to do that during the winter when it's, you know, the weather is not pleasant and you don't want to yes. get out. And it gets dark at 4.15 in the afternoon. <laughs> Well, I think going through photos and and family letters and records is sort of a perpetual process. It's like trying to get your inbox to zero. It's you're it's never going to happen. It There's is always something never new. going to happen. And the other thing that I found that was in a stack of things that I should have gone through was the program for your senior year at Princeton when you wrote. What was it called? Oh, the, the Triangle Show. Well, I will explain to anyone listening that uh, I belong to a musical theater group at Princeton that wrote and produced original musical theater pieces, sometimes book shows, sometimes uh, sketch anthologies. But my senior year, I, I got to write the bulk of a show that was produced, uh, along with a couple of very talented collaborators, including my friend Dave Hill, who also is out here in Hollywood making a living as a producer writer so <laughs> well this i'm holding this up so you can oh yes it was entitled pulpit fiction yes and it was based on kentucky but the thing that i read and i thought i must keep this even though oh, let me find it behind the scenes ah. do you remember this and it says leslie six feet and still growing wake 96 <laughs> Mother of script and score. After three years of playing harlots in spring triangle shows, Leslie decided to try her hand at writing. She wants to assure her friends and family, especially her grandfather, the preacher, her father, the politician, her sister, the biomedical engineering graduate student, her mother, the rural land magnate, and her boyfriend, the older man with two first names, Joe Pete. <laughs> That's right. That all characters are fictional and that any resemblance to actual persons is entirely coincidental. <laughs> Leslie hopes her Kentucky charm will help her land on a job writing in L.A. next year. If not, she hopes her Kentucky rifle will protect her from angry motorists on the freeway. <laughs> do you remember writing that? I, I thought, do. I, I thought do. that was so clever. Now, am I not remembering also that the Triangle Club started out as just a vehicle for a male kick line? 
Yes. Well, the Triangle Club originally was all male because Princeton was an all male institution. And so when they would do these original student shows, naturally all the, all the female parts had to be played by men. And there was this tradition of having a kick line where all the, all the men, um, it may have been all the seniors in, in the show participated in this sort of rocket style kick line dressed in drag. And that, that continued all the way through the time that I was there. At that point, Princeton would, had become co-ed and the Triangle Club had become co-ed. But one of the traditions that did remain was that the, the, kick, line. Uh, the kick line, what you would call the 11 o'clock number in a musical, at these Princeton audiences very much were waiting for the number where all the guys dressed in drag and did a kick line. And it always was really fun to see and uh, it was very impressive. Some of the guys had great legs. So we, I remember as, as the women in the cast, we'd look at these guys dressed in drag and be like, oh, I would kill for those legs. <laughs> is there still a triangle club? And is there still a triangle club? Um, the kick line still? I don't, I think they do have the kick line, but I don't know if they have made it co-ed or not. I, I think there probably was a discussion about whether that's a fun tradition or whether that's exclusionary and, and to, you know, base something on people's gender or the uh, gender they identify with. That's, you know, that's one of those complicated questions that no one was thinking about when I was there in 1996. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was so glad that I came across it and had a chance to go back through it. But I think this gives you an idea of why I am being so slow doing all of this so it's it's the nature of the beast you you start reviewing these photos and then it causes you to sort of stop and think about them or reread the letter it, that just makes me think i i should do this digitally but i love being able to turn the pages in the photo albums I and, do too. and and bring back and you have such beautiful albums that you have created for your boys and for the grandparents, too. So, oh my gosh, it's lovely. There is something very nice about holding the album in your hands while you flip the pages. I do like that. It's just like reading a book. There's something mm -hmm. very satisfying about turning that page. Yes. That yes. reminds me. I just read a book oh. that I couldn't put down. And it's like 2000, I want to say seven. It's called Too Far, T-O-O-F-A-R, Too Far. Too Far, okay. And it's the story of a reporter. It's his story. He is now about 40, but a very successful reporter. And he uncovered a story about someone who begged him not to write it. Or not to mm. you know, put it in print. And he did. And the man killed himself. Oh. So he resigned his position with whatever company he was working for or whatever newspaper he was working for. And is trying to decide what he's going to do with the rest of his life. And so he goes to this little town, which is not too far out of New York City. And this little town has two basketballs, high school basketball stars, and they are predicted not only to win the state championship, but maybe to be the best high school team in the country. And so, anyway, the story opens with the body 
of the high school team's manager washing up on the beach. Oh, no. So the the question is, was this suicide? Was he killed? Was he attacked and killed? Whatever. And so after this is mentioned, then this um, high school writer who idolizes the man who's just come to their town Mm -hmm. uh, approaches him and he wants to tell this retired writer. He said, I have a story, I think. And will you advise me and maybe help me? And so this is how it starts. Ooh, that's juicy. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends up, but having these two boys here in high school, I, it just really spoke to me. And it's one of those, I'm trying to think of the name of the author. Anyway, it's called Too Far. Too Far. All right. And it is It's one of those that I find myself, even after finishing it, and I read the ending twice. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. I I mean, it it just gets into the high school mentality, particularly Uh of athletes. I highly recommend it. Thanks for listening to Nancy's Next Chapter. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at nancywakepodcast at gmail.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-W-A-K-E podcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Podigy for help with all of our audio editing. Our theme music is Beautiful Dreamer by Stephen Foster, played by Nancy Wake. Mm-hmm.